Blog Talk Radio. Which means good morning in the ancient Paleo Hebrew. 
and welcome to the show, man. I'm your host, your brother, your friend, as always, Kazapa. Welcome to another episode of ISBHPK Presents Bible Talk. So I hope everybody is healthy. hope everybody had a um, good Sabbath, great weekend. Uh, we we get some some inclement weather here in San Antonio this morning. It is freezing. Uh, it rained pretty much uh, all day on and off yesterday, and I think a little bit overnight. And so this crap is freezing up, uh, which is heavily dangerous for uh, San Antonio because they're not used to this type of weather. Um, Schools are shut down here. I heard uh, Dallas or DeSoto, close to Dallas, is getting pounded right now with um, snow and um, I think some ice as well. But uh, that's what's going on here, man. Uh, I want to send shouts out to our brother schools, uh, VA, H-Town, uh, Rochester, and the brothers here in San Antonio, Tejas, man. I'm looking forward to this weekend, too, y'all. Um, if you didn't know, this weekend is definitely going down in Houston. I forget which number summit this is, but it is the Hebrew Summit going down this weekend in Houston, Texas. Quatrezop uh, is hosting I'm excited to see all the brothers and sisters from around the country that have traveled um, to fellowship, to unify. Uh, I'm looking forward to this weekend. I hope everybody can make it out because uh, I know I have not talked to you, but, but I told you, but I don't know if you uh, freed up any time to come, man, but you'll be definitely doing yourself a favor to uh, come, man, and just check it out, man, and see Israelites, like I said, from all over the country, man. Um, what else is going on? Oh, yeah, Passover is going on, coming up uh, in April, which will be in Virginia this year. I got the official uh, invite last night, the Wadi Mashaba, for sending it out to me. Uh, I like to ask brothers and sisters, also, man, to send up prayers uh, or keep the brother Thalmon in your prayers. He is still uh, hospitalized, doing better than before, but he is still hospitalized. So your thoughts and prayers are definitely needed and appreciated uh, for this brother and for his family. Uh, I feel like I'm forgetting something. All right, let me just dive into it. Maybe it'll, it'll uh, come to me, reflect my memory. Um, if it's your first time tuning into the show, I usually do about an hour of current events and news before I dive dive into the topic. And this is this today's topic is uh, a continuation of a series that I've been doing for um, a couple of weeks now, y'all, entitled "Never Wax Pale." This particular portion of that series uh, is part two, dealing with the captivities of the southern kingdom or of the kingdom of Judah. All right. So before I dive into all of that, 
Let's get this, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. After this manner, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So this is the prayer, brothers and sisters, we should be sending up on a daily, man, to get delivered up out of this sinful place. All right, now we're going to get Psalms chapter 118 and verse 24. This is the day which the Lord had made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So good or sad, happy, good or, good or bad, happy or sad, if the most high watch you to it, he's going to definitely bring you through it and you'll come out better on the other side because of it. So, unfortunately, we have to be here in this demonic place. So we have to take um, the good and the bad. Man, we got to roll with the punches, y'all. So a lot of stuff is going on, man. Uh, I want to get to. I want to unpack. Um, let me jump into this because my thoughts on this topic here is going to be quite lengthy, as well on the other one. So let's jump straight into it, y'all. This is from CNN World News, and I know I. I suck at uh, announcements and things of that nature, but Mashaba, <laughs> however, Mashaba does a great job. The announcements and the plugs, you know, giving everybody the plugs for the businesses and all of that. Mashaba does a great job of that, but I pretty much suck at it, y'all. But anyway, let me dive into this. So the headline is from CNN World News, and it reads, Germany and U.S. announced plans to send tanks to Ukraine in major sign of support for Kiev. <laughs> and you ask me, Tazapai, why are you reading this? Because world news is very important news that has something to do with all of us as a whole, in particular the Israelites. Uh, give me just a second, y'all. Yeah, so, yeah, like I was saying, world news has a lot to do with us. Um, like I went over, actually, in my series, uh, discussing world, I went just a little bit into World War II and how basically it was fought over our land um, and the efforts for the Edomites, the so-called white people we loosely refer to as white, they're really red, uh, their their biblical name is Esau, but went over how they were procuring um, the area, our homeland Israel, for um, those people, those uh, nominalies, people who call themselves Jews, the fake Jews. Um, they were setting that land up, and that was 
part of the reason World War II was fought, y'all. You can go back, check the show, but don't take my word for it, man. Do your own research. But this is what's interesting about this article. This is why I wanted to bring it out. It says the leaders of the United States and Germany each announced Wednesday they will send uh, contentions to tanks to Ukraine, uh, reversing their longstanding uh, trepidation at provoking keys with offensive armed vehicles and unleashing powerful new tools in Ukraine's efforts to retake territory seized by Russia. The announcement by Germany Chancellor Off Scholz that he will send Leopard 2 tanks was coupled with an announcement from U.S. President Joe Biden that he was providing 31 M1 Abraham tanks to Ukraine, reversing the administration's longstanding resistance to requests from Kiev for the highly sophisticated but maintenance-heavy vehicles. The dual announcement made a landmark moment that followed weeks of intense pressure on Berlin from some of its NATO allies. The decisions were the result of prolonged diplomacy between Germany, the United States, and other European allies. And come as Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky prepares for a new Russian offensive this spring. So they setting up, y'all. They setting up. And I want to show y'all this. Let me go to it real quick. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9. This is always a recurring scripture, man, because it is so true and so... uh, Relevant. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9, and it reads, The thing that has been, <laughs> the thing that has been that it's talking about right here is history. That's the thing that has already been. So the thing that has been is it that which shall be, meaning history is going to repeat itself. It says, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no thing, no new thing under the sun, man. So the most high requires history to repeat itself. Matter of fact, let me get that one. Give me just a second. Let me find that one. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 15. That which has been is now. So it's letting you know the past is going on right now in the present. It says, and that which is to be has, and that which is to be, meaning the things that are going to come, have already been. And the Most High or God requires that which is past. So the Most High requires history to repeat itself. So you might ask yourself, but tell us, Paul, how does this have anything to do with the price of tea in China? All right, I'm going to show you why this is relevant to the article I just read. And then I'm going to go into more scriptures to show you how the Bible is so accurate, it is scary. 
All right, so this article is from Share America, and the headlines reads, the headline reads, Americans sent gear to the USSR to help win World War II. So if you're not familiar with World War II, and I'm going to read a little bit of this too, um, World War II, the U.S. helped the USSR, which used to be, well, common-day Russia, but it used to be the Soviet Union. But the U.S. helped them. Now watch this. Even before the United States entered World War II in December 1941, America was sending arms and equipment to the Soviet Union to help it defeat the Nazi invasion. Does this sound familiar? I just read the other article that talked about how the U.S. and Germany are sending tanks to help um, Ukraine fight the Russians. But they did this before. Now, the reason also this is so important is because before the U.S. jumps into the war, they're going to send uh, equipment. That's the first thing. They're going to send equipment, and then they're going to send advisors, then eventually they're going to send troops, y'all, if they haven't already, because they may have some uh, CIA operatives over there already fighting in the war and advising um, the Ukrainians on how to win the war. So let me read this again. Even before the United States entered World War II in December 1941, America was sending arms and equipment to the Soviet Union to help it defeat the Nazi invasion. Although in August 1939, the Soviet Union and Germany had signed a non-aggressive treaty, which they did, Germans' June 1941 invasion of the USSR brought their alliance to an end, forcing the Soviets to confront the Nazis as enemies. President Franklin D. Roosevelt convinced Congress to listen to this, he convinced Congress the U.S. should provide military aid to nations vital to the defense of the United States. So no different than uh, Biden had to go to Congress and ask permission for them to send for him to send these tanks over here, because the president cannot go to war or take a country to war. This this country can't without permission from Congress. So like I said, man, this is history all over again repeating itself. Now, let's get into the scriptures. Let's go to Revelation, y'all. Let's go to Revelation chapter 9. And I want to start it. I'm not going to break down this whole chapter, man, but I got to break some stuff down to get us to see it. been a minute since I've been over this one. Um, so Revelation chapter 9, I'm going to start at verse 12. We're going to jump around a bit, y'all. Revelation chapter 9 and verse 12. And the sixth, I'm sorry, verse 12. One woe is past. So woe meaning destruction. So what happens in war? Destruction, violation, a lot of killing, a lot of dying. This, was go- what, this is what goes on in war. So when you see the word war, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about a war. It's talking about destruction. So it says, one war is past, 
or one war has passed. Now, we're reading the aftermath of some of this chapter because the rest of the chapter, we don't get into it, talks about World War One. That's why it says one war has passed. So that war is over. Now, listen to this. It says, and behold, there cometh two woes more hereafter, meaning that there's two more wars coming because you already had World War One, World War Two. I'm sorry, you already had World War One in this chapter. But then he talks about World War Two is to come and World War Three, y'all. And y'all probably even heard some of the uh, the news anchors or politicians or historians talking about this is going to be the beginning or this is the beginning of World War Three because it really is. Now remember, in World War Two, man, they call it World War because it was literally the whole war was the whole world was at war, man. And that's what's gonna go on right now. This is what it's talking about in uh second Ezra's thirteenth chapter, where it talks about how all the, the nations were gonna be fighting each other and then they're gonna see Christ come, and then they're gonna turn around and start fighting him. So this is the scriptures is, is right on point, man. The Bible is, is like I said, so real, so accurate, it's scary. Now check this out. So let's jump up to verse six now, y'all. So we're gonna Revelation chapter nine verse six. And it reads and and in those days now listen to this, talking about World War One. And in those days shall men seek death and shall find shall not find it and shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. Now, this is twofold. What it's talking about, it says, in those days shall men seek death. You remember all the, the, the patriotic people that wanted to join the war and go fight for this country and ah, I'm to, to the death, to the death, I'll die for my country. So this is what it's talking about, partly talking about all the men that came back maimed from World War One. A lot of people died in World War One, y'all. I'm, I got the statistics. I'm going to read it here in a second. But a lot of people came back maimed, and they they were so messed up that they was wishing they would die. Because even the scriptures in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 30, I believe, tells you that it's better to die than to live with a, a, a prolonged uh, terminal illness. It tells you that. So this is what it's talking about here in verse 6. A lot of those men that, re- that returned home from the war, they were uh, paraplegics. Uh, they lost a lot of limbs, and they wished for death. Faces was burnt up, disfigured. They were wishing for death. So this is what's talking about. I'm reading it again, Revelation chapter 9, verse 6. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. So this is the, the torment. But like I said, this is talking about those uh, GIs that came home maimed and jacked up. Verse 7, and the shapes of the, the locusts were like unto horses, perilled unto battle, and on their heads were as it were crowns like gold, and their faces were as the, as the faces of men. So remember, y'all, Revelation, Revelate, the book of Revelation is written allegorically. So there's a lot of symbolism going on. Because remember, the Bible's written three ways, y'all. 
The first way the Bible is written is historically. It's a book of history. We constantly, constantly, constantly teach that at ISBHTK. It's a book of history, y'all. All right, the second way the Bible is written is prophetically. It's a book of prophecy, things that are going to come to pass, things that are going to come to happen. The third way the Bible is written is symbolically. It has a lot of symbolism in it, and we're reading it right now. So in verse 7, we're talking about the shapes of the locust. The locust is referring to the World War I planes. Yes, the fighter planes. That's the locust. Because ain't no locust flying up in the air like no horse and making no noise. Not, not loud like no horses. Locusts do make noise, but not loud like no horses, y'all. It's not talking about these actual uh, locusts as an insect. Come on, man. And then it's, uh, let me read it again, verse 7. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses. Y'all see this? Meaning they were, they were big. They were huge. Prepared unto battle. And on their heads were as it were crowns like gold. So what it's talking about is talking about the fighter planes and the, the crowns like gold is talking about the pilot's helmets that they wore. And then it goes on to talk about the faces, faces of men. It's talking about the actual pilots that were in these, what the Bible describes as locusts. Verse 8, and they had hair as the hair of women and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. Now, right here, they're talking about hair. It's talking about the scarves that the pilots wore that when they were in the plane, the, the wind would make the uh, scarves fly up, and it would look like they had hair. But these were actual scarves that was flying. And when it talks about the teeth that was painted, and y'all can go back, man. Look, Go on uh, Google, Google Images and Google World War I planes. And the reason I want you to Google is because I want you to see, matter of fact, let me read that verse again. Verse 8. Uh, now, what verse was that? Yeah, verse 8. And they had hair as, as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. Go back and Google these planes, and you'll see that they painted teeth. They painted all kind of decorative art on these World War I planes. I'll go back and see, I will see this. They had teeth actually painted on the planes, on the nose of the planes, some of them looking like sharks, because this was war. So they had warlike apparel paint on the, on the uh, fighter jets, y'all, back in World War One. Now, verse 9, it says, uh, and they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron. So you see this thing talking about no, no insects. Now, ain't no locust got no breastplate of iron on it, y'all. It says, and the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. Wings. What has wings and can be used in war? It's a plane, man. He's talking about fighter jets. Then it's talking about how loud they were. It says, as the sound of chariots of many Horses running to battle. If you live anywhere close to an airport, if you've ever heard a plane take off and land, you know how damn noisy it is. And I'm talking about just commercial planes. 
But imagine a fighter jet or a fighter plane going into battle. This is what it's talking about. It's talking, when it says a breastplate, it's talking about the airplanes that were made of iron and steel. Then it talks about the noise, the roars of the plane, the engine, and then the flight. That planes are not quiet, y'all. This is what it's talking about, verse 10. And they had tails like unto scorpions. And there were stings in their tails. <laughs> and their power was to hurt men five months. Now, let's deal with this. It says they had tails like unto scorpions. The tail is the back end of it, y'all. The tail end. But what what would they have on the tail end of these fighter planes? Y'all, like I said, go back and Google it. They would have machine guns on the tail at the at the end end part of the plane. And then hell, what remember what they call the fighter jets and particularly the brothers who fought, and I believe it was in World War Two, I believe, when they had the red tails. They made a movie about it. But remember, they had all the, the machine gun stuff or the machines, the armory, at the end of the plane. That's where they were shooting from. I mean, they had guns up front, too, but they had guns in the back. So it says, I'm going to read it again, and they had tails like unto scorpions. And what does the scorpion do? What's in the scorpion's tail? The stinger. And there were stings in their tails. You see this? So what was at the end of these planes, man? The stingers, the machine guns. It says, and their power was to hurt men five months. And yes, they were hurting. They were killing men. And when it says five months, listen to this, Mm y'all. And this is from Wikipedia. World War one. World War One. Great War. That's what it was known as. It says uh often abbreviates abbreviated as WWI was one of the deadliest global conflicts in history. It brought it was fought between two coalitions. The first being the Allies, whose key members included France, Britain, Russia, Italy, Japan, and their respective colonial empires, basically the whole world, with the United States joining as an associate power in 1917. Now, listen, they faced the Central Powers primarily Germany, uh, Austria, Hungary, and the Ottoman Empire with fighting fighting occurring throughout Europe, the Middle East, Africa, the Pacific, and parts of Asia. As estimated, 9 million soldiers were killed in combat. Y'all hear that? 9 million soldiers. This is what Revelation is talking about. The maiming in verse uh, six, and all the people that died. Nine million soldiers were uh, soldiers were killed in combat, plus another. Listen to this: twenty-three million wounded. 
23 million wounded. More people were wounded than more people that actually died. So what he says in verse 6, I'm going to read it again. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die and and death shall flee from them. This is talking about the 23 million people that was wounded that want, they, they begged for death because their wounds were so bad. And they were living with these Ill, these terminal illnesses. I guess I got to get that, man. Let me get that real quick. Just to show y'all so y'all can understand what it's talking about. So, Ecclesiastes chapter 30 and... Here we go. Chapter 30, verse 17. It says, death is better than a bitter life or continual sickness. You hear this? I'm going to read it again. Ecclesiastes chapter 30, verse 17. Death is better than a bitter life or continual sickness, man. So it's saying it's better to be dead than to live a bitter life. What's a bitter life but you being maimed for you being in the damn war? And you're not just maimed physically, you're maimed psychologically. You're damaged psychologically. They talk about P, uh, PTSD. It's a thing now, but back then, they, it wasn't even a thing. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't even have a term for it when men went to war and they came back home all jacked up in the mind. They didn't have a term for it then, but it still existed. So these men came home psychologically damaged, and they were physically damaged because they were living... In, in these bitter situations because they had lost limbs, faces were dis- disfigured, mind was all jacked up. I'm going to read this again in the um, of the Wikipedia, man, for, for the uh, statistics of World War II. Check this out. An estimated 9 million soldiers were killed in combat, plus another 23 million wounded more people got wounded than more people that actually died. While 5 million civilians died as a result of military action, hunger, and disease. So this is what goes on in during times of war, y'all. So we got to get ourselves prepared for this. This is going to happen again. Because when you have war, all the efforts is going towards the war. It's all the food, all the resources. They're going to feed the soldiers. This is why it says hunger. People die because of hunger, because all the provisions were going to the soldiers. Plus, you had land that was being destroyed. They had crops, valuable crops that was supposed to be used to feed civilians, to feed the whole, uh, to feed the countries that these places were in. They were being destroyed. And then as a result of hunger, then you have disease. So it says millions more died as a result of genocide. While the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic was uh, exacerbated by the movement of combatants during the war. Oh, wow. So the Spanish flu was going on during the same time as the war. That is nuts. No different than what's going on right now, man. All the uh, RSV going on right now, the flu. COVID still out there. So these diseases are still lurking, but just imagine this country being at war and all the resources being uh, ushered out so that soldiers 
And then the disease that we still got here, the viruses we got over here running around going on. Now, watch this, too. I'm going to go back to Revelations chapter 9, and I'm going to read verse 10 again, and then I'm going to jump back to this article. So Revelation 9 and 10, it says, and they had tails like unto scorpions. So once again, this is talking about those fighter planes in World War I that had the gunners, that's what they were called, gunners in the back of them, and there were things in their tails, the gunners, and their power was to hurt men five months. So it says five months. Now, World War I, the official start date was 1914, and it ended in 1918, y'all. So let's count the, count those years. So 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. That's five years. So when the Bible says five months, it's talking about the five years that the World War One was fought, y'all. I'm going to let that sink in real quick. The, the, the hair on the back of your neck should be standing up. How dangerously accurate the Bible is, man. That is right on point. Definitely talking about World War One, y'all. And like I said, let me read verse 12 again. One woe is past. So World War One is past. It says, and behold, there cometh two woes more hereafter. So two more wars w- was going to come after World War One. We had World War One, then there was World War Two. Now we're waiting on what? World War Three, y'all. And this is in process right now. It's going on. Like I said, the article from CNN, how Germany and uh, the U.S. have sent those tanks over there to help Ukraine. And then, like I read in the other article, they did the same thing back in World War II, man. They sent uh, they sent uh, equipment and tanks to help the USSR, is what it was called at the time, fight the Nazis. So this is how it starts, y'all. We need to get prepared. It is definitely coming, man. But this is a good thing, man. Like Kyle Kyle always say, this is good, bad news, man. That means that our salvation is nearer than what we believe, man, like the scriptures say. All right, y'all. So I'm going to jump from there and deal with the other topic at hand. And I know y'all probably been hearing a lot about this. The news has been bombarded with this. So this is from uh, the New York Times. Five officers charged with murder in Memphis police killing. Hmm. As the city awaits video of the fatal encounter with Terry Nichols, or I'm sorry, Tyree Nichols, a 29-year-old black man, a law enforcement official describes the footage as absolutely appalling. This ain't nothing new, man. I mean, how many damn videos have we seen, y'all? We just like... Oh, man, I can't believe this. One, I mean, the one after another. And I'm talking about we going, let's go all the way back to damn uh, VHS tapes, the Rodney King beating, because that's what it was captured on the camcorder. Had VHS tapes. So the Rodney King beating, everybody saw it, and then everybody was like, oh, man, I can't believe this. And then a lot of us, we were saying, oh, damn, somebody finally called it on tape. <laughs> Somebody finally got the evidence on tape. 
uh-uh, we know, we know good and well these people are going to go to jail because now we got the proof. That's what we were saying, and then they got to quit it, right? Which, and I'm going to just bring it up to speed. What about the video of Mike Brown being dead left in the street? Um, the video of Austin Sterling fighting with the police and the police killing them. The video of, uh, what was the brother in uh, Minnesota? Oh, man, I forget the brother's name. But he was killed in front of his woman and her child. Her child was in the back seat. The police shot him, murdered him right there in front of her. Damn, I forget this brother's name. Um, and then the countless other videos he had. So video after video after video after video. We've we've become used to seeing our people killed on live television, man. And I always say this, man. These videos and stuff that are coming out now remind me of um, what was that movie? I think it was called The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, it was called The Running Man, where he was a contestant on this show where they had to run for their life and they had to fight these uh, funny-looking characters and stuff to get through these mazes, and it was all televised. So they had people, they were showing the people dying and stuff as they would lose to whatever villain or whatever, but it was all televised, man. And that's what was going on right now. They were giving us a preview of what was to come. And now, what do you know? You can turn on the TV, not even TV, turn on your phone, because your phone is the TV now, and you can see people dying in real time now. It's crazy, man. Anyway, uh, back to the article. It says Memphis, five, Mem- five, Memphis police o- five Memphis police officers were charged on Thursday with second-degree murder for the death of Tyree Nichols, a 29-year-old black man after a traffic stop that escalated into what the authorities have described as a display of staggering brutality. The city has been bracing for more than a week for the release of the, of the video footage that officials say depicts an agonizing detail how, how a stop this month for suspicious of reckless driving ended with Mr. Nichols being hospitalized in critical condition on January 7th and dying three days later. Civil leaders and others in Memphis have raised concerns about the reaction the footage could provoke among residents who are already anguished and outraged about Mr. Nichols' death. A grand jury returned indictments on Thursday against the five officers, uh, the Darius Bean, Demetrius Hadley, Emmett Martin III, Desmond Mills Jr. and Justin Smith, with with charges that include kidnapping, official misconduct, and official oppression. In addition, (coughs) excuse me, y'all. In addition to second degree murder, prosecutors said the officers, all of whom are black, fired last week. So. All of these men were black, man. So this is black-on-black crime, man. 
disgusting, right? Now, trip off of this, man. And I talked about this last show, man. And I know a lot of our people like, man, I can't believe uh, how they going to kill that brother like that. Black police killing the brother. Man, we've been killing each other. Niggas kill each other every day in the street. What's that movie, uh, Paid in Full? <laughs> and uh, what, uh, what's his character? I forget. I forget the dude's character, but the rapper played him in the movie, uh, Cameron. He was talking to uh, A Boogie. He says, niggas get shot every day, B. <laughs> I'm trying not to clown, man, but our people have been killing each other for quite some time now. This is nothing new. I'm not saying it's a good thing or something I'm proud of. It's a damn shame, man. What has been going on, and I just don't see how our people are just so surprised and they want to act like this is something new. But this is part of the reason that it's happening. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 25. I have heard what the prophets said that prophesied lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed. I have dreamed. <laughs> now, like I said, I went over this last week, man, talking about Martin Luther and his dream and how our people are still upholding this dream to this day. Because I'm quite sure those black policemen, they had dreams of becoming a policeman, and they were going to uh, be do society of justice and uphold the law. Etc. 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 And now killing their own people in the name of the law. But this is where King's dream has got us. It's got us to where we want to be like our white counterparts. We loosely refer to them as white, but they white, but they're red. We want to be like them, man, in every form of fashion. But the Most High has always had a problem with us trying to be like the nations, man. Because when we try to be like the nations, the nations don't care and love each other the way we do. The nations weren't given moral laws the way we were given moral laws on how to treat each other. The nations have their gods. And the, the so-called white man, that nation, they don't have no gods. They're just empty people, man. They're empty. This is why they be committing suicide and going through depressions and all that. Their god is their money and their power. That's their god, man. Hold on for a minute, y'all. Oh, my goodness. Cuz, you got any news footage, anything to validate the reports? Because I don't know how true this is, but he says reports are coming out saying that it was over a girl. Says the 29-year-old had dated one of the cop's ex-girlfriends. Please, if you got that information, send it in so we can validate this. There ain't no better. I mean, that's even worse. That's even worse, man. But back to my point, man. 
king in his dream is in part responsible for all of this madness. Because like I said, in his dream, he wanted us to assimilate, to be like them. And now look, man, we don't care about each other. Now, verse 26, the part I want to get to, it says, how long shall this be in the hearts of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, of the deceit of their own heart. Now, the reason I want to bring this out is because I'm asking, man, how long are our people going to get the signs from the Most High that this, these people are our enemies? When I say these people, I'm talking about the Edomite nation. They're not our friends, y'all. How long is this vision and this dream going to be in our people's hearts to think that, hey, we're, we're U.S. citizens? or we have the same rights as everybody else. How long is this dream, and what is a dream? A figment of your imagination. It's not real. It's not real, man. We base our lives off of something that ain't real. King based his lives and our lives, put our lives in jeopardy over something that wasn't real. A damn dream? Come on, man. How many of us got children and we be sitting up trying to get our kids to focus and our kids is daydreaming? And we'll tell them, what, hey, stop daydreaming or stop dreaming. Focus. I need you to focus. Get your mind out the clouds. But a whole movement was sponsored and initiated under the idea of a damn dream. And look at how our people are still suffering behind this dream. Like the scripture said, man, how long is this going to be in the heart of our people? The heart's talking about the mind. Let me read it again. We're in Jeremiah 23, verse 26. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own hearts, meaning of their own minds. King pushed his agenda, not the agenda of the Most High. If he was pushing the agenda of the Most High, he would have told us, told the whole nation, hey, man, y'all Israelites. And this is punishment for y'all disobedience to the Heavenly Father. He would have told us that if he was really a man of God. It's our people, man. Let me read on. Let me read verse 26 again so I can catch the whole thing in context. This is how long shall this be in the hearts of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, which seek to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor, as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. Meaning, and Baal was the other god. He was the god of the uh, Babylonians, also. God of the Persian means too. Just basically talking about other gods and how we forget the name of the Most High to serve the nations and their gods, man. Our dreams and aspirations on what we think our life should be, what we think our purpose is, instead of what the Most High purposed us for. Let's get Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18 because this is the problem right here, man. 
because we try to tell our people these things, and we pull out factual evidence to show them about King's dream, how it was it was contrary to the Bible, and our people get all upset and emotional, caught up in their feelings, don't want to listen to reason or logic, but this is at the root of it right here, Proverbs sixteen and eighteen, pride going before destruction. This is the damn reason. Our people prideful, man. They don't want to hear nothing that tells them they can't do what they want to do, that tells them they don't have to obey something higher than them. Our people don't want to hear that. Our people don't want to be told that they wrong. They don't want to hell admit that they wrong. I'm, I'm dealing with that right now in my house. Prideful people. Listen to this. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride go up before destruction, meaning <laughs> your pride is going to be known and shown to you before the Most High destroys you. Before the, your pride gets you destroyed. So it's going to be known you're prideful. It's going to be exposed to you that you're prideful before the Most High just come and smash you. It says pride go up before destruction. And a haughty spirit, a haughty spirit is that can't nobody tell me nothing. I, I'm, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the, the S H I T. I'm the bomb. I, I'm, I'm all of that. That's going to go before you fall. It's going to be brought out that you have an unduly high opinion of yourself. That's the definition of pride. That you have a, a unduly high opinion of yourself. That's going to come out before you fall, before you get smashed. But this is our people's problem, man. We refuse to hear that, hey, this is captivity. God brought you here for your punishment, not for you to, to uh, chill and parlay and, and, and try to get up the, uh, the financial ladder to, to, to try to keep up with the Joneses. No, we were brought here for our punishment. This is not a reward, y'all. To have our people under the thumb of these red people, of white people, man. That ain't a damn reward. To be under the control of someone else, that's not a reward, y'all. That's a punishment. But we got it twisted. Now, listen to what the Most High says. Let's go to Psalm chapter 51. Psalms 51 and, let me start at verse 15. O Lord, open thy lips, and my mouth shall chew forth thy praise. So, this is David saying, give me my instructions. And I'm going to praise you. This week says, oh, Lord, open, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall shoot forth thy praises. Me, what you want me to say, how you want to be praised, I'm going to utter that out of my mouth. Not the way I want to praise you. Not the way I want to serve you. Your way. This week says, verse 16. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else will I give it. Thou delighted not in bird offering. And we always think we're doing something, man, because we give homeless people money. Because <laughs> we give to charities. 
we feed the homeless. That's the sacrifice right there. But he says, for thou desire not sacrifice, else would I give it. The most I ain't desiring that sacrifice. You think you're really doing something, patting yourself on the back. Or or our people got got, got this notion. Uh, well, I ain't as bad as I used to be. Or I, I ain't do what I really wanted to do. Trying to justify their wickedness or their pride or their arrogance. All right, here we go. Thanks, cuz, for sending that to me. He sent the article involved with Mr. Police Officer's wife. Ooh, yee. Woman goes rampant after dash cam video sparks protest. Hmm. Let me see. Uh, where is this from? OPO, I think this is the site. Come on, man. O, Opoi, Opoi Central, Opoi Central. This is a uh, news publication. Publication. It says, was, Ty- was Tyree Nichols involved with Mrs. Police Officer's wife? Rumor goes rampant after dash cam video sports protests. There is a rumor that Tyree Nichols might have been involved with the wife of one of the officers who have been arrested for his murder. Hmm. The five officers, okay. Tyree Nichols, a 29-year-old, okay. Let's guess. Mm-hmm. Begin to circulate the rumor that Nichols might have been involved with the wife of one of the officers who have been arrested for his murder. And that might be the case, man. I don't know. The truth is definitely going to come out, but I do know this. Let's get uh, powers, man. Thanks for that, that article, cuz. I appreciate that. And I'm going to show you why that actually makes sense. Mm. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 6, y'all. I'm going to show you why it makes sense. It says, but whoso committed adultery with a woman, and we know that adultery is a man taking a woman that ain't his and a woman sleeping with a man that ain't hers, that ain't her husband. So it says, but whoso committed adultery with a woman lacking understanding. So the adulterer, the dude, if you sleeping with another man's woman, it says you lack understanding. What's the understanding you lack? That you wouldn't want nobody to do that to you. That you wouldn't want nobody to sleep with your woman. That's the understanding that you lack and the pain that comes behind that, knowing that your woman betrayed you, knowing that some other dude was in those special places only reserved to you. That's the understanding that you're lacking. It says, he that doeth it destroyed his own soul. Wow. Verse 33, a wound and dishonor shall he get. 
and his reproach, the word reproach means shame, shall not be wiped away. Meaning you're always going to be known as that adulterous nigga. You're always going to be known as that, I want to know what takes you on. The nigga Joe. Like almost every song the nigga had was talking about adultery. What kind of man leaves you out in the cold? All that, all that crap the nigga was talking about. I want to know. That nigga. You always going to be known as that nigga. Hey, keep that nigga away from your woman. Hey, I wouldn't have that nigga in my house. That's what it's talking about. Let me read it again, verse 33. A wound and dishonor shall, shall he get, and his reproach or his shame shall not be wiped away. You're going to forever be known as that nigga. Verse 34. For, now listen to this. For jealousy is the rage of a man. What's the rage of a man? His jealousy. Mess with this woman. Mess with this woman and you're going to see the nigga come out. It says, therefore, he will not spare in the day of vengeance. Meaning he ain't in the day when he get an opportunity to get you back for what you did to him. Hey, ain't no limit. There's no limitations. It said he will not spare in the day of vengeance. It's, it's no whole bar, homie. You're going to get this work. Verse 35. He will not regard any ransom, meaning you can't give him nothing. You can, man, let me let me pay you back. It, it ain't no paying back for that. It ain't no money you can give me. It ain't no favor you can do for me for you sleeping with my woman. No, nah, nigga, it's going to have to be some furniture moving. It says, neither will he rest content, meaning he, he ain't going to chill. He is not going to chill, man. It says, though thou givest many gifts, you cannot please this man. You slept with this woman. In verse 34, it says, just is the rage of the man. They call that a crime of passion. If a man busts in and see his woman getting the do getting the do in with another dude, he killed both of them. Crime of passion. Temporary insanity. Any man can understand this. So if that's why a dude got the beat down, that's understandable, y'all. I ain't saying that it's true because they say it's a rumor. But I'm just say if it is true, I understand. But back to my point. Let's go back to Psalms 51. What time is it? You know what? I got to move on, y'all. I ain't, I'm sorry, y'all. I have to move on. I ain't got enough time. Uh, so, y'all, I'm going to change over into my topic. I only got an hour, and I am definitely ain't going to get done with this. So I got an hour left, y'all. Uh, but I'm transitioning over to the topic, and the topic is entitled Never Wax Tail, Captivity of the Southern Kingdom, Part 2. All right, y'all. So... Let me see what I want to do. Oh, where my zombie in at? Let's go here. So, so I got a lot of reading to do, y'all. But well, first, we're going to jump to the Zonovan, page 163. The definition of exile. 
So this is what it means to be exiled. Listen up, y'all. Usually refers to the period of time during which the southern kingdom, Judah, that's what we're talking about, that's the subject matter, it says was forbid, I'm sorry, was forcibly detained in Babylon, the Babylonian captivity. It began with a series of deportations during the reigns of the Judean kings, Joachim, 609 to 598, uh, Jehochin, 598 B.C., and Zedekiah, 598-587 B.C. So these were all the kings that were involved in the Babylonian uh, occupation and then eventually the siege and the siege and then the destruction of the first temple at Jerusalem. Hold on. Yeah, that's all I wanted from wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me read the two. It says after the destruction of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, five eighty seven BC, the kingdom of Judah ceased to exist as a political entity. So I definitely wanted to get that. Now, let's deal with the kings that were mentioned in what I just read out of this other man. Because last week, y'all, we talked about Zedekiah being the last king of Judah and his name being changed. I had to go back and do some more research, y'all, because I want to make everything clear so it's not confusing. So I pulled him up. And this is Zedekiah uh, from Wikipedia, and it reads, Zedekiah, Zedekiah was the 20th and the last king of Judah before the destruction of the, king, of the kingdom by King Nebuchadnezzar II of Babylon. His birth name, listen to this, y'all, was Mattathiah, which means gift of God. After the siege of Jerusalem in 597 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar II disposed King Jochanah uh, uh, and installed Manathiah, his uncle, as king of Judah. So Manathiah, his name was changed to Zedekiah, and he was the uncle of Jake, uh, Jake, Jake and I, it says, and he, and uh, and as king of Judah, changing his name to Zedekiah. Let me read this again. After the siege of Jerusalem in 597 BC, Nebuchadnezzar II disposed Jeconiah and installed Mattathiah, his uncle, as king of Judah, changing his name to Zedekiah. Second Kings twenty four and seventeen. So we gonna definitely go there. Uh, yeah, let's go there real quick. So y'all, we're going to Second Kings chapter twenty four and verse Verse 12 and it reads, and Jekhochin, Jek, Jek, Jek 
the king of Judah went out to the king of Babylon, he and his mother and his servants and his princes and his officers, and the king of Babylon took him in the eighth year of his reign. So this is talking about uh, Jekyll Chin, which was the king of Judah, talking about how he got carried away. Let me read on. And he carried out then all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. And he carried away all Jerusalem and all the princesses and all the mighty men of valor, even 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and smiths. None remained save the poorest sort of the people of the land. And he carried away Jehoshin to Babylon and the king's mother and the king's wives and his officers and the mighty of the land. Those carried he into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 16, And all the men of might, even 7,000, and craftsmen and smiths a thousand, all that were strong, and after war, even them, the king of Babylon, brought captive to Babylon. And the king of Babylon made Mattathiah, his father's brother, king in his seed, and changed his name to Zedekiah. So when it talks about Joachim, Joachim is also known as Jeconiah. Yeah, Jeconiah. So they're the same person. But this just goes right where we just read on Wikipedia how uh, he was the uncle, or Mattathias was the uncle of Joachim, and how the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar had made him king instead of Jeconiah and changed his name to Zedekiah. Verse 18, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Hamathol, and the daughter, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. All right, so that's what I wanted to get out of that to uh, clarify some things that we went over last week and get a better understanding. So that was verse 18. Now let's go. Back to Wikipedia, and let's read this. It says, After the siege of Jerusalem in 597 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar II disposed King Joachim or Jeconiah and installed Mattathias, his uncle, or Mattathias, his uncle, as king of Judah, changing his name to Zedekiah, 2 Kings 24, verse 17. The prophet Jeremiah was his counselor, yet he did not heed the prophet and his epithal is he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Reading on. William F. Albright dates the start of Zedekiah's reign to 598 B.C., while Edwin R. Thurlow gives the start in 597 B.C. On that reckoning, Zedekiah was born in 617 B.C. or 618 B.C., being 21 on becoming uh, being 21 on becoming king, 
Zedekiah's reign ended with the siege and fall of Jerusalem to Nebuchadnezzar II, which, which has been dated to 587 or 586 B.C., and those are the dates that correspond with other sources that I brought out, uh, including the Holman's uh, Bible Atlas, 586 B.C. All right, so let me read a little bit more background. The defeat of the Neo-Assyrian Empire in 612 B.C. at the Battle of Nivea by the Neo-Babylonian Empire caused unheavals that led to the destruction of the kingdom of Judah. Egypt, concerned about the new threat posed by the Babylonians, moved northward to, to support Syria. So what was going on, y'all, was you had the Egyptians and the Assyrians forming an alliance. And then eventually, uh, I or Joachim, he uh, formed an alliance with the Egyptians also to go against the Babylonians. So let me read this. Let me read on this article. It's going to bring it out. It set on the march. It set on the march in 608 BC, moving through Judah. King Josiah attempted to block the Egyptian forces and fell mortally wounded in battle at uh, Megiddo. Josiah's younger son, Jehoahaz, was chosen to succeed his father on the throne. Three months later, the Egyptian pharaoh, Necho II, returning from the north, disposed Jehoahaz in favor of his older brother, Joachim. Joahaz was taken back to Egypt as a captive. After the Babylonians debated, the Egyptians, I'm sorry, I'm tripping. After the the Babylonians defeated the Egyptians at the battle, uh, wait a minute, y'all, hold on. Let me see how much I want to read. Mm. Yeah, I got to get this. After the Babylonians defeated the Egyptians at the battle of Charmish in 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar II besieged Jerusalem. Joachim changed alliances to avoid the destruction of Jerusalem. So what Joachim did was he joined up with the Egyptians. That's why it says he changed alliances to avoid the destruction of Jerusalem. I'm sorry, he joined up with the Babylonians. He paid tribute for the treasury, some artifacts from the temple, and some of the royal families, and notable, were taken as hostages. The subsequent failure of the Babylonian invasion into Egypt un- undermined the Babylonian control of the area. And after three years, Joachim switched allegiance back to the Egyptians. So I was right. So he was a lot allied with the Babylonians at first to avoid the destruction of Jerusalem. Then he came back and he allied again with the Egyptians. It says, and ceased paying the tribute to Babylon. So he stopped paying them tribute. Because of this, Nebuchadnezzar II invaded Judah again in 599 B.C. and again laid siege to Jerusalem. In 598 B.C., Joachim died during the siege and was succeeded by his son, uh, Jeconi, also known as Jeho Chin, Jerusalem fell within three months. Jehoshaphat 
was disposed by Nebuchadnezzar, who installed Zedekiah, Georgetown's uncle, in his place. All right. So I just wanted to bring that out so everybody understand what was going on, the timeline, the, how the different kings were moved around and switched. Because what a, a lot of us don't understand is that before uh, these captivities, even before the Assyrian captivity that took out the northern kingdom, they would come in and occupy the land first. So the Assyrians came in, they, they were occupants of the northern kingdom before the Most High just had them smash it. The same here with the Babylonians. They came in and they, they occupied the southern kingdom, and then they would place people in charge who they wanted to be in charge this is before the Most High just gave the order for them to go in and smash the uh, southern kingdom and take them out and take them into captivity in Babylon. You know, no different than this day and age with America. You know, they'll occupy a place before they just uh, rightly take it over. So with that understanding, y'all, let's go now to uh, where are we going? Second Kings chapter 24. In verse, let me read it already. Verse 12 through 18. Yeah, we read that. So now let's go to um, Jeremiah chapter 40 and verse 1. We're going to Jeremiah 41, y'all. Jeremiah 41. So everybody is just tuning in. What I'm going over is part two of the Southern Kingdom going into captivity. So we're in Jeremiah chapter 40. Let's go to verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after that Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, I'm sorry, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the, the guard, had let him go from Ramah. So remember, Jeremiah was took into captivity with everybody else during the Babylonian siege and then, then eventually the Babylonian uh, conquering of the southern kingdom. It says, when he had taken him, being bound in chains among all that were carried away captive of Jerusalem and Judah, which were carried away captive unto Babylon, the captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said unto him, The Lord thy God hath pronounced this evil upon this place. Now listen to what this dude is saying, y'all. <laughs> this is the captain of the Babylonian army. He says, verse 2, And the captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said unto him, The Lord thy God hath pronounced this evil upon this place. How the hell did this dude know that this was by the hands of the Most High, man? This was so so blatantly obvious. Everybody knew. This dude knew, hey, it wasn't, it wasn't the Babylonians' power. It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar's power. It wasn't my power. Your God did this to you, man. Wow. Reading on, verse 3. Now the Lord hath brought it and done according as he has said, <laughs> because ye have sinned. 
So why did the Most High do this to us? Because we were sinning, y'all. We just worshiping other gods. It says against the Lord and have not obeyed his voice. Therefore, this thing has come upon you. Now, this is another, a dude from another nation telling Jeremiah why we got smashed on like this by the Most High. Verse 4, and now behold, I loose thee this day from the chains which were upon thy hand. If it seemed good unto thee to come with me into Babylon, come. So what this dude is saying, he, he let Jeremiah loose. And he's telling him, hey, if you want to come to Babylon with me, that's cool. You can come. And I will look well unto thee if it seemed ill unto thee to come with me into Babylon, forbear. So it means you ain't got to come. He says, Behold, all the land is before thee. Whether it seemeth good and convenient for thee to go, thither go. So he basically set Jeremiah free, even though Jeremiah was part of the combatants that was took, or, or the, uh, the captives that was took. Verse 5, it says, Now while he was not yet gone back, he said, Go back also to Gideon, I'm sorry, get Aliyah, the son of Ahakam, the son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon had made governor over the city cities of Judah. Like I said, the Babylonians would replace and put kings there that they wanted to be there. So this cat, Gedaliah, he was put in place in uh, Judah as a governor. So this captain of the guard is telling Jeremiah that, hey, man, you can go back and you can be uh, his counselor. You can go and help him out. Now, this dude, uh, Gedaliah, he was eventually assassinated. I ain't going to go into that, but he was eventually assassinated. But let me read on. And it says, and dwell with him among the people, or go whatsoever it seemeth convenient unto thee to go. So the captain of the guard gave him victuals, victuals he gave him some food, and a reward, and let him go. So he let Jeremiah go, man. See, but this is the benefit of following the instructions of the Most High, because he followed the instructions of the Most High to a T. And all of them was, all of them was not nice, man. The stuff he had Jeremiah do was not nice. Verse six, it says, then went Jeremiah unto Gedaliah, uh, the son of Ahakam, to Mitzvah, and dwell with him among the people that were left in the land. So, and then he didn't leave. That shows character, man. That shows integrity. Jeremiah did not leave his people, man. He had the opportunity to go free. He could have went down into Egypt like a lot of us did, and he could have just parlayed there and been good, man. As a matter of fact, eventually he did go down there, but it was because we was down there. But my point is, man, he had good integrity to the point he stayed and suffered with his people, man. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 29 now. So I got a lot of reading to do, y'all, and I'm, I'm going to jump through a lot of this, trying not to go too fast because I want everybody to be edified. So Jeremiah chapter 29, 
And let's go to verse 1. Now, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders which were carried away captives and to the priests and to the prophets and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. So he wrote them a letter. Now, <laughs> listen to what he says in his letter. After that, Jeconiah, uh, the king, the queen, and the eunuchs, the princes of Judah, and Jerusalem, and the carpenters, and the smiths were departed from Jerusalem. Cause, and I covered this last uh, installment of this topic. They took the best of the best out of the land. They left the poor people. They left the people that they didn't deem valuable. This is how Daniel also was taken, and I covered that last week because he was in part of the Babylonian captivity. Verse 3, by the hand of Elisha, the son of Sophia, and Gimariah, the son of Helikai, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent unto Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, uh, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, now this is his letter, Jeremiah wrote, Thus said the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Build ye houses, and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there and not diminished. So he's telling the people, hey, man, go ahead and live your lives. Now listen to this, verse 7. And seek the peace of the city, whether I have caused you to be carried away captive. He meaning, hey, man, don't rebel. Don't revolt. Don't try to fight like your predecessors did. Don't try to go against the grain like Zephaniah did and then his nephew. He says, and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. But thus said the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you. <laughs> Neither hearken to your dreams which ye cause to be dreamed. Because during this time, there was a lot of people that were saying that they weren't going to go into captivity, and they eventually did. Verse 9, for they prophesied falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, said the Lord. For thus said the Lord, that after seven, listen to this, y'all, verse 10 is what I'm going to get to. For thus said the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good towards you in causing you to return to this place. So how long will the Israelites, were we going to be in captivity under the Babylonians? 70 years, man. This was a 70-year captivity. Meshavah's going over captivities now. He's going over the topic of salvation. He's doing an excellent job, y'all. Y'all have a tune in the Meshavah's class. Check that one out. But he's going into it. But this particular captivity was going to last for 70 years, y'all. That's a long time. 
That's a long time. All right, so let's get, uh, matter of fact, let me keep reading. Verse 11, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, said the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. So this is the most high telling us, hey, you're going to be here for 70 years, but some contrition has to happen. You got to feel bad about what you did, and then you can call on my name, and then I'll answer y'all. So these were the instructions the most high gave about that captivity. Now let's go to Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 1. Like I told you, all we're doing a lot of reading. So we're going to Lamentations chapter 1. And we're going to start at, <clears throat> let's start at verse 1. Lamentations chapter 1. How does the city sit solitary that was full of people? Now, if y'all didn't know, Jeremiah wrote Lamentations. So this is him talking, and he's talking from the experience, the things that he had just witnessed and just went through. Now, the definition of Lamentations means, or, or to lament, means to mourn aloud, to express sorrow. Definition number two, to regret strongly. <laughs> so this is a book of regrets. And you know how we are, man. We be having a long list of regrets. Coulda, woulda, shoulda, right? So this is Jeremiah's lamenting letter or his letter of regrets. Start at verse one again. It says, how does the city sit solitary that was full of people? Because remember, everybody was sitting captive. How has she become a widow? She that was great among the nations and princesses among the providences. How has she become tributary? She weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. The lovers are talking about the other nations that the Mokase we kept abhorring after. It says, all her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. <clears throat> Verse 3, Judah is going into captivity because of affliction and because of great servitude. She dwelleth among the heathen. You hear this? So we, we took into captivity under the heathen or the other nations. This, this, the nation in question is the Babylonian sisters. She finded no rest. All her persecutors overtook her between the straits. Let me jump down a little bit. Verse 5. Her adversaries are the, the chief. Her enemies prosper. For the Lord had afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children are gone into captivity before the enemy. Verse 8, Jerusalem has grievously sinned, therefore she is removed. All that honors her despise her. 
because they have seen her nakedness. Yea, she sighed and turned it backwards. So this is talking about how all the nations seen the nakedness is talking about our shame. We were once a great nation. Remember, man, people were coming from all over to visit Jerusalem during the time of Solomon. The Queen of Sheba came. Solomon was the wisest king, the wisest man ever. So we were we were living in renown. But now we've been destroyed as a people, as a nation. During this time of the Babylonian captivity, now we're just shameful, man. Now we're the lowest of the low. But the Most High did this to us for us not following his law, statutes, and commandments. Now I want to get... Uh, let me go to the home and atlas. So we're going to the homeless atlas. Now I'm pretty much back and forth in this. Uh, the homeless Bible atlas, and I'm going to page 163. Uh, hold on. Page 163, and where I want to start at? Right here. It says, Ezekiel. He mimicked the seeds of Jerusalem, utilizing a brick, and lay on his face, lay on his side for a specific number of days to symbolize the sin and punishment of Judah. And Israel. So it's talking about Ezekiel, the fourth chapter. We're going to go there. But he was also a part of the southern kingdom captivity. It says later, he tunneled out through a city wall carrying his baggage as a sign of what soon would befall the residents of Jerusalem, especially King Zedekiah, during the final stages of Jerusalem's destruction. So he ain't that something too? So he was there doing that cap that captivity. Uh, Jeremiah was there doing that captivity. Isaiah also all was prophesying that this was going to happen, and we still wouldn't listen. It says in a dramatic and powerful series of visions, Ezekiel saw the departure of God's glory from the holy temple, now profaned by Israel's sin. By these actions, Ezekiel drove home, drove home the message that God had abandoned his holy place and delivered a rebellious people over to the hands of Babylon. Man. Let me see. Yeah, I want to read some more words. After the destruction of Jerusalem, God used Ezekiel to convey a message of hope and further restoration to the exiles. Ezekiel portrayal portrayal of God as a good shepherd who would restore his flock, foreshadowing the New Testament motif of Christ as the good shepherd. Y'all see how the Old Testament and the New Testament work hand in hand in the site St. John chapter 10? It said, Ezekiel's famous vision of a valley filled with bones that came to life at God's commandment. Ezekiel chapter 37, promised restoration and life to the scattered Jewish people. 
Ezekiel foresaw a new day when God would again dwell among a uh, purified remnant. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Ezekiel 37:27. Ezekiel concluded his message of hope with a series of visions depicting a new temple with blessings flowing symbolically like a river that brings life into the desert. Ezekiel 40 through 48. Hold on for a second, y'all. There we go. All right. So let's go there. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 4 now, y'all. Ezekiel chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 1. And we're going to read to 17. Thou also, son of man, take thee a towel and lay it before thee and poultry upon it in the city, even I'm sorry, y'all. They cut me off. I got disconnected. Yeah, I got disconnected. Sis. That's why you couldn't hear me. I hope everybody is hearing me now loud and clear. I got kicked off you. I'm sorry. Um, I forgot where I was at, man. Cool, cool. The water. Um... Yeah, Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 1. Thou also, son of man, take thee a towel and lay it before thee and and portray upon it the city, even Jerusalem. So what the Most High would do with the prophets was he would have us, have us do things that were symbolic of what was going to happen to Jerusalem or what had already happened. Now, what's going on right here is what had already happened. It says, verse 2, and lay siege against it. And build a fort against it, and cast a mount against it, and set the camp also against it, and set battering rams against it round about. Verse 3. Moreover, take thou unto thee an iron pan, and set it for a wall of iron between thee and the city, and set thy face against it, and it shall be besieged, and thou shalt lay siege against it. This shall be a sign to the house of Israel. See this? This was a sign to us. Verse 4. Lie thou also upon thy left side. Now listen to this, man. Who had to lay on, lay on his left side and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it according to the number of the days that thou shalt lie upon it, thou shalt bear their iniquity. Now listen to how long he had to lay on his side, his left side. Verse 5. For I have laid upon thee the years of their iniquity according to the number of the days. So we're doing days for years. The the days were symbolic of the years. The the Most High said he put up with our iniquity before he just fed up. Now listen to this. Now we're talking about Israel, talking about the northern kingdom. It says to the number of the days, 390 days. 
So the most I said for 390 years, I had to put up with you niggas iniquity in the northern kingdom. Because remember, verse 9, he's talking about Israel. Once again, referring to the northern kingdom. Now listen to this. So shall thou bear the iniquity of the house of Israel, northern kingdom. Verse 6, watch this. And when thou hast accomplished them, so when you finish the 390 days laying on your left side, lie again on thy right side. So turn over on your right side. And thou shalt bear the iniquity of the house of Judah. So now you're going to pay for the southern kingdom. 40 days. So how long was Judah clowning and being wicked as hell before the most I smashed him? 40 years. Because remember, he said that the amount of days are symbolic for the years. So Judah was climbing before 40 years before the Most High smashed them. It says, I have appointed thee each day for a year. I hope everybody's seeing this, man. Reading on. Therefore, thou shalt set thy face towards the siege of Jerusalem, and thy arm shall be uncovered, and thou shalt prosper against it. I'm sorry, prophesy against it. So he was laying on his side, the left side, for 390 days, prophesying, on the right side for 40 days, prophesying. Sorry, y'all. Uh, reading on, verse 8. And behold, I will lay bands upon thee, and thou shalt not turn thee from one side to another. So he had restraints on him that wouldn't let him roll over, that wouldn't let him turn, man. Just imagine laying on your damn left side for 390 days. You couldn't move. I bet he had all kind of bed sores and stuff, man. Because you know if you lay like that, in the area for too long, your, your skin starts to develop bed sores. I bet his, numb, his leg went numb. Oh, man. No blood circulation just laying there. It says, till thou hast ended the days of thy siege. Man. Take thou also unto thee wheat and barley and beans and lentils and millet and fitches and put them in one vessel and bake thee bread thereof according to the number of the days that thou shalt lie upon thy side. 390 days shalt thou eat thereof. So he was going to be eating, laying on his side. But what I want us to get from this is he's talking about measuring it out. Matter of fact, let me read on verse 10. And thy meat which thou shalt eat shall be by weight. 20 shekels a day from time to time shalt thou eat. Now, remember, when the Most High brought us into the promised land originally, he said the milk that was uh, a land that was small of milk and honey, meaning that a, a land that had an abundant amount of everything. But now he's showing us we weren't going to have an abundance of everything. We were going to have everything rationed to us by our enemy. Like it tells you in Deuteronomy chapter 28, it says we have to go to our enemies for uh, one of everything, for food, for water. Et cetera, et cetera. So this is what the Most High is telling Ezekiel to put on display for us so we would understand what this captivity was going to entail. Verse 11, thou shalt drink also water by measure, the sixth part of a hen, from time to time shalt thou drink. 
and thou shalt eat it as barley cake, and thou shalt bake it with dung out of man in their sight. So, yeah, what is the Most High telling us to do, to do now? What is the Most High telling the prophet Ezekiel to do right now? He's telling him to eat some poop, y'all. To eat some poop that comes out of a human body. So for us brothers that's teaching, traveling, teaching, prophesying, we call ourselves prophets, our lives are not going to be easy. The prophets always had it worse than everybody else. We, we were the example. And rightly so, man. It's like if you have a son... You're supposed to be hard on your son because why is your son? So he's supposed to be the example for all the rest of the kids. I'm talking about the older son. He's supposed to be an example. So, you, yeah, you're supposed to be hard on him. He's got to be an example for everybody else. This is the way the Most High treats us. He treats the prophets. We have to be the example for the rest of the nation. So he's making Ezekiel. Eat poop cake. You know, you might say, man, the Most High is really extreme for making this man go through that. But if the Most High is really extreme, then what were we? What were we to where the Most High had to be this damn extreme? And it, mind you, this is just an example. This is an example of what the captivity in Babylon is going to entail. Hey, this this is the prototype of what y'all finna go through. Reading on verse 12, it says, And thou shalt eat it as barley cake, and thou shalt, shalt bake it with dung that cometh out of man in their sight. Verse 13, And the Lord said, Even thus shall the children of Israel eat their defiled bread among the Gentiles, whether I will drive them. So see, once again, this is the example. Ezekiel was the example for the whole nation. Tell, hey, this is what y'all look at. Verse 14, then said I, Oh, Lord God, behold, my soul had not been polluted. He's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Hold up, Father. I ain't never ate no doodle cake. He says, for from my youth up, even till now, have I not eaten of that which died of itself or is torn in pieces. Neither came there abominable flesh into my mouth. He's like, man, do I really got to eat boo-boo cakes? Do I really got to eat doo-doo? This, this is what the brother's saying. I'm fooling. Watch this. Then he said unto me, Lo, I have given thee cow dung for man's dung. See how the most I like, uh, you know what? Let's, okay, I have some mercy on you. I have mercy. I pump my brakes a little bit. Instead of man's doo-doo, I'm going to eat cow dookie instead. I ain't going to make it that bad for you. But it's going to be bad because it ain't like cow doodle is baller either. Nobody want to be eating doodle, period. I don't care who it's coming from. Boo-boo is not a delicacy. It says, and thou shalt prepare thy bread therewith. Moreover, he said unto me, son of man, behold, I will break the staff of bread in Jerusalem, and they shall eat bread by weight and with care, and they shall drink water by measure, 
and with astonishment. You ain't you can't eat and drink and have the abundance that you once had. Now things are going to get rationed out to you, and you're going to be astonished like, man, this is where we at? Man, this this happened to us, really? Verse 17, that they may want bread and water and be astonished one with another and consume away for their iniquity, man. He's like, man, a lot of y'all are going to die in this captivity. Now, once again, this, the Babylonian captivity lasted for 70 years, y'all, for 70 years. Now, I want to get this, too. Um, let's go back to the Bible Atlas. I'm going to go to page 143, y'all. And I mentioned this before that each kingdom had its own group of prophets side to that kingdom. So I want to give y'all the list of the prophets and the kingdom. So let's start with Judah. So here's a list of Jude, uh, the Judite prophets, the ones that were, I ain't going to say Judite prophets, were the southern kingdom prophets. Isaiah was the southern kingdom prophet, Micah, Jeremiah, Nahum, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Ezekiel. All of these prophets were southern kingdom prophets, y'all. Now, let's go to uh, page 116. Let me get to get the northern kingdom. Page 116. And they did a pretty good job. They list most of them. So this is page 116. This is a list of the northern kingdom prophets, y'all. Elijah, Elisha, Amos, Isaiah, Hosea, and Micah. So these were all Northern Kingdom uh, prophets. Let me tell y'all again. Elijah, Elisha, Amos, Isaiah, Hosea, and Micah. And let me give give y'all the Southern Kingdom list one more again. So Southern Kingdom Prophets, Isaiah, Micah, Jeremiah, Nahum, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Ezekiel. Like I said, they get most of them uh, right. There's a few that they didn't get. Most of them was right for the most part, though. Um, and they left some of them out. So now I want to go to Daniel chapter 5, y'all. Oh, man. I went by quick. Not to mention I got kicked off, too. Feel mad about that. Anyway, um, I got a little bit of time. Let's go to Daniel chapter 5. And I know I'm jumping around a lot and I'm doing a lot of reading, y'all. I hope I didn't lose nobody. So just to recap everything I've done, I had to go over um, Zedekiah, who he was. Uh, his nephew and all that stuff. Then I I was going over some of the prophets that were in the Babylonian captivity and details of the captivity and what it was going to be like. Now, let's go to Daniel chapter 5. And we're going to read quite a bit of this, man. And I'm, I think I'm going to run out of time man, so I can get to the point. Um, but let's try it anyway. Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. 
Belzazar the king made a, a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Now, Belshazzar was the king of the Babylonians. This was Nebuchadnezzar's son. Verse 2, Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and the silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princesses, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes and his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, and of wood and stone. So they was praising their gods while they were drinking out of the holy vessels that came out of the first temple that was destroyed by his father, Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 5, in the same hour came four fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loose. <laughs> his bowels, y'all. And... His knees smote one against another. His knees was knocking. He was terrified. Verse 7, the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, whosoever shall read this writing and shew me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing, nor make known the king's interpretation thereof. Then was the king, Belshazzar, greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in his mind, and his lords were astonished. So they couldn't figure out what the writing meant that was on the wall. Verse 10. Now the queen, by reason of words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. So word got back to the queen what was going on. So she came in. Verse 11. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. Whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say, thy father made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. So she's basically giving him Daniel's resume. For for what for for as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of the hard sentences and discovering of doubts were found in the same Daniel whom the king named. Bel to Zara, now let Daniel be called, and he will shew thee the interpretation. So the king Nebuchadnezzar had named Daniel after his god, which they they uh, served the god Bel. You can read that in the Apocrypha, Bel and the Dragon. Verse thirteen. Then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel? 
which are of the of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewelry. I have even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And they keep saying gods. No, it's the most high, the only power. To show how the nations worship and serve of the gods. Verse 15. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But they could not choose the interpretation of the thing. So they, they didn't know. He's telling them what happened. Verse 16. And I've heard of thee, that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, Thou shalt be clothed with scarlet, and have a chain of gold about thy neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself. He said, Man, keep your gifts, and give thy reward to another. Give it to somebody else. Yet I will read the writing unto the king, and make known to him the interpretation. Verse 18. O thou king, the most high God gave it never never Thy father a kingdom. So this is Daniel speaking to uh, Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son. He said, man, the Most High gave your daddy a kingdom and mastery and glory and honor. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to get cut off, y'all, but I'm going to keep going. Verse 19. And for the magistrate that he gave him all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him, whom he would, whom he, would he slew. And whom he would, he kept alive. And whom he would, he set up. And whom he would, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, meaning when Nebuchadnezzar got prideful and his, his mind hardened in pride, he was exposed from his kingly throne. And they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. Now, you can read this, I believe, this day, like chapter 1 or chapter 2, I believe. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God ruled it in the kingdom of men and that he appointed over it whomsoever he will. So he's telling Nebuchadnezzar's son that, hey, your dad didn't get this power on his own. And remember how Mosai had to break your daddy down to where he had this dude out living with the beast of the field. But this dude was, had lost his damn mind because the Mosai had to break that pride in him. I tell you, man, pride is a dangerous thing. Verse 22. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, has not humbled thy heart. He said, man, and you, you prideful like your daddy. Those thou knowest all this. Man, you've seen what happened to your daddy when he got prideful, but you're going to do the same exact thing. Verse 23. But hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of, the, of his house before thee. And thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drank wine in them. And thou hast praised the, God, the gods of silver and of gold of brass iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know, and the God in whose hand thy breath is. Wow. He said, 
the Most High is holding your life in his hand. And whose are all thy ways hast thou not glorified? Like, dude, you disrespected the Most High by drinking out of the vessels your daddy stole from the first temple. Verse 24. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. And then he's telling him how it went down. The most I got pissed off because you're prideful. You're disrespecting his vessels that came out of his house. You partying, got, got your hoes drinking out of his vessels and stuff. The most I'm sick of that. This is why the writing had to come. Verse 25. And this is the writing that was written. Many, many. Tekel Tarsin, verse 26. This is the interpretation of the thing. Now listen to this, y'all. Many, God, have numbered thy kingdom. That's what it means. I mean, your, your kingdom days, your time of rulership is numbered. It's about to be over. He says, and finish it. It's a wrap, dude. Your time is done, verse 27. Tekel Thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Verse 28. Per, per, uh, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So he was letting them know your time is up. When he says uh, your, uh, thou art weighed in the balances, verse 27, means your life is about to be ended, dude. And he's letting them know, verse 28, the kingdom is about to be given to the Persian Medes. Your rulership, the Babylonians' rulership, is about to end. That's what he's telling this dude. Verse 29, then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Verse 30, and that night, listen to this, was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. So he died that same night when Daniel interpreted his dream to him. Tell me the most I ain't bad. Verse 31. And Darius, the Median, took the kingdom, being about three score and two years old. So now enters the Persian Me Empire. Also known, let me get it, as the Achaemenid Empire, y'all. Now, in verse 28, remember it says, Paris, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So the Persian Medes or the Medes and the Persians were actually two uh, nations coming together to form one empire, y'all. To form one empire. You had Cyrus, who was the king of the Persians. You had Darius, who was the king of the Medes. Now, this happened around 538 B.C. is when the Persian Mede Empire came into power. Now, let me get this. So Daniel chapter 6 and verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom a hundred 
and 20 princesses which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these princesses, I'm sorry, over these three presidents of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give account unto them, and the king should have no damage. So here's Daniel being raised to a high position once again, but it didn't mean nothing. You know why? Because here was Daniel after being in captivity, and I don't know how old he was when they were took, but I know the Babylonian captivity lasted for 70 years, y'all. So here's Daniel going to another captivity after coming out of the Babylonian captivity. He, he's experiencing another captivity. Now watch this, verse 3. Then this Daniel was preferred above the president and princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. So, y'all, I think that this is a good stopping point right here. Uh, I'm sorry I got cut off, y'all. I don't know what happened. But um, I think this is a good stopping point right here. And I hope everybody got some edification out of the class. I hope I wasn't um, unclear, muffled, and hope it wasn't confusing, y'all. I know I had a lot of information I wanted to get out. But I hope everybody was edified. So Water Michelle for hooking up the broadcast. Uh, and until next week, Lord willing, y'all, tell a friend to tell a friend, friend to please tune in to South Park Tuesdays, South Park Tuesdays, South Park Tuesdays every Tuesday. And with that, y'all, I'm going to say shalom.